Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, my name is Louis Menjavar. I'm the Young Adults Pastor, and I, I get the, the privilege and opportunity to be able to share with you this weekend as we have uh, just fully embraced and stepped into the season, making our way towards Christmas. In fact, we're calling this series Embracing Christmas. And, uh, you know, as we are moving through this, I'd like us to settle on a simple yet profound idea. And it says that Christmas is God's invitation to us to give us a place to belong in his family, in his son. And Christmas is God's amazing invitation to us that we have a place to belong as we embrace his son in our lives. And this idea, uh, this idea that we have a place to belong is, is rather profound because if you think about it, uh, I, I think we all can identify with the longing to belong, the longing to be able to call a place home. We all long for that. And as I was thinking about this and as I was mulling what we were going to share in together, I was reminded of a movie that was surprisingly very popular. It was, um, it was called The Blind Side. And maybe a lot of us experienced um, what that film was and what it, what it shared. But it was a pretty powerful story, a true story, based off of a true story in this man's life, Michael Orr. And the more I researched about his life, I came to discover he actually wrote his own perspective on his upbringing. He called this book, I Beat the Odds. And there's a lot of interesting things that aren't shared in the film, obviously for lack of, you know, with in terms of time. But in his upbringing, he, what he most significantly shared in his book is that he never really had a place he could call home. He was essentially born into a situation without feeling like he belonged. And at a very young age, he shares how he and his siblings, he had 12 siblings, were born into a, a home in which his mother, unfortunately, was addicted to drugs, and the government stepped in and decided that he, it was not a safe environment for him and his siblings to be raised. And he remembers the traumatic event where the social workers came in and carried him and his brothers and sisters away. And he remembers, um, you know, seeking to figure out what was going on. He was transferred to the social worker's office, paperwork was filled out, and then transferred to a foster care home. And from the very beginning, he determined that he was not going to remain there longer than needed. And so at the young, young age of elementary school, he developed a habit of running away from his foster homes. And he became what the system, what he said the system called a runner because he would constantly escape the home and then inevitably make his way back to his mother's apartment. It was all that he knew. But his mother was not present, was not there. And so the social workers would come back, would find him there, and the whole process would continue. And this continued all the way up until eighth grade until he met a friend in junior high in which this friend of his asked him, you know, invited him to stay at their home. And he did for the entirety of the eighth grade year. And something pretty powerful happened. The father of this family decided to help Michael or out. He started in trying to enroll his son in a better high school than the one that they had in their town of Memphis, Tennessee. And he started looking in different areas for a better system to plug his son in. But he made this one unique um, uh, contingency. He said, you know what? He, every school he went to, 
he spoke about his own son, showed his transcripts, but then he said, but I also, my son has a friend that you must allow to enter with him as well. And somehow he had managed to escape the system in terms of being on their radar or anything. And, and so the school was kind of aware of this, and they, school after school would deny them. Until one school called Briarcrest Community High School, which is a Christian school in a more well-to-do area of Memphis, decided to take a risk on Michael and his friend, and he, they accepted him. And we're told that he, he in, this, in the midst of this transition, in his book, he realized that he could no longer stay with his friend, their family, some things were going on, it was pretty volatile, and so he decided he couldn't stay there any longer, and he developed a new way of no longer getting back into the uh, foster care system, which is incredible. In high school, he, he, in his adjustment, his attitude to remain free in some ways of the system, he created a rotation of families to stay with. He was really good at basketball, and his basketball teammates liked him, and so he ended up staying one or two nights at each teammate's house throughout the week, and he developed a way to keep all of his supplies at school, and he had it was just the minimal of belongings in a plastic bag, and so he would go spend one or two nights at one home, one or two nights at the other home, and he would rotate. Each family just offering common hospitality without pressing anything beyond, would you like anything to eat while you're here with us? And they wouldn't press on his situation or anything, not realizing, he says in his book, that he was completely homeless, had nowhere to belong. And this went on for some time until what we are very familiar with, which is one Thanksgiving morning, he has his belonging in his bag, he's walking down this street in Memphis, Tennessee, making his way to the gym. He realized Thanksgiving people are going to wonder why he isn't with his family. And so he'll make his way to the school gym, in his mind, doing the responsible thing. He'll practice basketball during the day, sneak away and figure out how to stay there throughout the weekend until the next family on the rotation. And behind him, as he's walking, he sees a car whiz by, makes a U-turn, pulls up next to him. The window rolls down. Leanne Tui asks him first his name and then secondly where he's going. He's lightly dressed. It's winter. It's cold, freezing outside. Tells him of his plan, thinking it's a sufficient cover. I'm going to the gym, going to practice. Leanne's husband, Sean, worked at the school, was well aware the gym wasn't open, so they let him know the gym's, gym's closed, Michael. Can we give you a ride anywhere else? And thinking on his feet, it was different in the film, but as he's writing it, he says, you know what, here's what happened. He, he thinks to himself, I can't get caught. So he asks him, can you give me a ride to the local bus stop? He figured something out for that weekend. They gave him a ride, dropped him off. And here's what we know. We know that Leanne would not let go of the fact that they just witnessed this. They just saw a child without a home. And so they pressed. She pressed. The following week, she went to the school. She asked him if she could take him shopping for clothes. And he went ahead and went and thought it a little odd, but went ahead and got some clothing. Then they figured out he was on a rotation, so they asked him, you know what, would you like to add us on your rotation? And he was very skeptical, but he decided to permit it in one or two nights. And as he participated in this amazing expression of hospitality, not just by the Tui family, but by everybody else, he wrote in his account something that changed in his high school experience, he, something he had never experienced before. And I thought I'd share it with you. In his book, he wrote this. He said, this is what changed. This is what was different. I felt the Briarcrest community wanted me there. 
They wanted to build relationships with me. They, they wanted to make me feel welcomed into the entire school's family. And I started to feel like the Tuies really wanted me there. By the way, this is after time and time again of them pursuing him, of them seeking to express their love and concern for him. He says, you know what, even after this, something inside of me still was guarded. And the best I can say is they, I felt like maybe they did really want me there. And that they might, they might really love me. And I didn't start out by staying there every night, he says. It would just be a night or two at a time before I went somewhere else. But the two, he started asking questions. Leanne isn't a lady who just lets things go. She, she asked about my family. And while I wasn't ready to open up, I did like how she was concerned about me. I didn't want to tell her. But I, I liked that she and Sean, her husband, noticed me. I didn't feel invisible when I was with them. I, I like that Collins, their daughter, was down to earth. Not snobby like so many other girls. I like that SJ, their son, who was just seven at the time, treated me like a big brother when I was over there, just like I had treated my own big brothers when, when we were all together so long ago. They didn't crowd me with emotion. But they also made sure that I knew I was always welcome. And I love this. They didn't treat me like I was fragile or with curiosity, like I was a strange creature they had to figure out before we could get close. They treated me just like they treated everyone else, and I think that helped me feel so at home there, so quickly. I also got the sense that they seemed to understand what I was trying to do, but I just didn't have the tools or even know what the tools were. I needed to get there. See, I wasn't dumb and I wasn't lazy. I was lost and hurt. And I wanted to work hard, but hardly knew where to start because I had just never really seen that modeled in my life. And he goes on to explain how this family, and they inevitably ended up adopting him as their own, radically changed his life. And he discovered two things. Firstly, because of his environment in which he was born into and raised in. He, somewhere deep down inside, knew something was wrong with the situation, but he'd never seen anything different. And so when he did see the health of this Tui family, he said, firstly, he started to recognize what he always felt internally, that his family wasn't very healthy at all. And to us, it would be extremely obvious, but to somebody in that situation, it, it was like a revelation was being given. But secondly, is that he said that he experienced something he always had inside, but never thought could be met. He experienced his longing to be able to call a place home fulfilled. And it's a powerful story that the film effectively captured. And if nothing else, it certainly provides us in the family, the Tui family, an incredible uh, example of what generosity and hospitality and taking a risk on somebody that is nothing like their family and welcoming them in even as their own. What an amazing example that would be for us. That is for us in our lifetime. Because we know that this changed his life, and he went on to become uh, a, a player on the Baltimore Ravens in the NFL. He's currently there right now. 
But the reason I, I was reminded of this, is if you could hear me, Michael had a decision to make, didn't he? See, Michael, all he had experienced was people burning him, people not really having his best interests at heart. All he had experienced was questionable motives. All he had experienced was not acceptance and embrace, but exactly the opposite. And so when this family offered him extravagant love, at a very high level, he had a decision to make, didn't he? Even after they had demonstrated high levels and degrees of accepting him and welcoming him and pursuing him and clothing him and feeding him and giving him his first bed, he still had to wonder, do they really love me? He had a decision to make. He had a decision to make as to whether or not he would embrace this invitation to belong or not. And I guess what I'm saying is that Christmas, Christmas is God's incredible invitation to every single one of us to embrace our place in his family. Christmas is God's declaration that he has pursued us and is continually making a way for us to be able to find our home in him. And yet the decision, the choice is ours and ours alone to make. And what we do with that, just like it occurred in Michael's life with his family, what we do with that decision with regards to the Lord, well, it changes everything. It changes everything. And this Christmas message is, is shared. In fact, I'd like us to jump into it. And if you open up your handout, this is something that I, I'd like to suggest John um, shares out of. And we're going to look at a passage in John, which is, by the way, not a classic Christmas passage. But it has so much to do about the coming of Christ. It has so much to do with about the coming of Jesus, its significance, and particularly the invitation we're given in his son to belong. The invitation we're given to belong, to have a place of belonging. See, the choice is ours, and we must decide what to do with it. But we'll, we'll jump into this together in verse 1. We're told, and John is speaking very poetic language that is alluding to something his readers would understand immediately. He says in verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In the beginning was the Word. They would really understand Him to say, remember another phrase that begins that way? In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. Well, something else is happening here in human history. There is a new beginning. This declaration of the coming of his son is a new beginning in human history. It is a turning point. And can we hear it? Something very significant occurred in the first beginning when everything was created. See, the word was with God. And this is where God's com complex nature is just, it stretches our frames of reference. He was with God, yet he, he was God. He was God. And everything that was created was created through him. He was there. And he was very much a part of everything that we see all around us. He did it. He was there. 
And, and this is extremely significant. He says, listen, this is a, a big, big deal meant to cause us to pause, to consider, to ponder the announcement John is making. In him was life. In him was life, verse 4, and the life was the light of men. Let's call this life light. It's like light, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This life is like a light that is not able to be snuffed out by darkness, which, by the way, I just can't help but think of the way we as a culture embrace this season with celebration through, the, through lights everywhere. The way we decorate our trees and our homes and the exterior and the way we even maybe make our way to different neighborhoods that really take it all to a whole nother level, right? What an experience this is because even, we, even as a culture, though we may not fully understand the magnitude of this season, we understand one fundamental truth, that when light shines, darkness has no chance. And what a beautiful expression. What a beautiful way to celebrate the coming of his son. What, what an amazing thing. He says, now this light, it wasn't altogether recognized right away. He says in verse eight, there, uh, verse 6, excuse me, there was a man sent from God who, whose name was John. We know him as John the baptizer. And this man, he, he came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He's the one who's saying, that's the light. That is the life of men right there. He was not the light. John was not the light but it was sent to bear witness of it, just so we all understand what we're seeing right here in front of us is the light of men walking in our midst. What an incredible thing. Let us not rush past this. Let us not miss what's happening. He is, he says in verse 9, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He is the giver of all lights. And it was such an amazing declaration that God needed to make sure that somebody would address it and let everyone know, there he is. There he is. He, if you want to know where life comes from, we are seeing him walk in our midst right now. The giver of all light, the giver of all life. Darkness has no chance right there. Powerful, powerful declaration. Verse 10, where he was in the world. He came into the very world he created, the, and the world was made through him. He made everything. He stepped into this world, the mystery of Christmas right here, and the world did not know him. His own created order did not recognize, here is the one who made us. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Largely, generally speaking, John is saying, this is what happened. He stepped into human experience, and largely speaking, most did not either recognize him or receive him. They chose not to. Oh, but to those few who did, can we hear the invitation of Christmas? What an amazing invitation we're given. He says in verse 12, but as many as received them, as many as received them, no matter how few or how many we may consider it, as many as received them, what an amazing thing would happen. To them he gave the right to become children of God. To them he gave the right to be able to inhabit the highest level of intimacy with God. 
to have a place not far away, but as near as possible. Can we hear the invitation to have our place to belong to those who believe in his name? He says, listen, this is not, this, they were born, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It was not of man's volition, not of man's design, not man's idea, not his initiative. It was not man who thought this would be really great. It was God himself. And it was God himself who said, I long for them to be in my family to such a way that I'm going to send them my son. I'm going to step into the experience. I'm going to declare to them, anybody who embraces him, welcome home. Welcome home. God initiated, but we, we, we must decide. And he says, listen, verse 14, and the word became flesh. This is the mystery of the gospel. God took on the, the word that was with God, that was God, that created everything that we see. He became a person, a child. And we could hear him, John, almost saying, he dwelt among us. We saw him. We, this is an eyewitness account. This is not hearsay. We saw him. We followed him. We walked with him. We talked with him. We beheld his glory. Let me tell you how amazing he is. We saw it up close and personal. He's the real thing. He's the one. He's the one we all long for. His glory was in our midst. And the best way I can describe it, he says, the best way I can encapsulate what he was like is that he was a man full of grace and truth. There was no deception in him. But there was never any lack of tenderness, gentleness, grace, patience, forgiveness, either. We saw him. We walked with him. We talked with him. We heard him speak to us. We, heard, we saw him speak to other people. He walked in our midst, and what a glorious sight it was. And let me tell you, it was nothing but grace and truth. This is Christmas. This is Christ among us. This is the invitation we are all given. And we all get to decide how we enter into this season, how we enter into this time in our year where we celebrate the one who took on human form, the child who came and dwelt among us. And I was thinking in our remaining moments together, how we can step into this in a significant way. That Christmas, Christmas is a reminder, among many other things certainly, but I would like to suggest that Christmas is a reminder that the Lord invites us to embrace our place in his family. Again, verse 12 is so it is the turning point on which all of humanity pivots. That with, without this, we don't have a home. With this, we have everything we could long for in a home, in a place to belong. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, which means that God longs for us, that, that God individually, personally thinks of us and he sent his son to us to give us the opportunity of receiving his embrace, to give us the opportunity of not just receiving his um, theoretical forgiveness, but his warm embrace of acceptance and his place, our place at his table, our privilege to receive the pleasure that reigns over his son reigns over us. And some of us, maybe this season, maybe this particular time in our life, this is the first time we may want to embrace our place in his family. 
And perhaps we could hear God calling us. And for the first time in our life, we will receive and embrace him as our own. And as we do, we will get to experience one of the most magnificent, the most magnificent gift we can ever receive, which is his grace flowing all over us, through us, his forgiveness alleviating the burdens and the weights that we carry, the pain being soothed by his presence, receiving nothing but his faithfulness and his commitment to us. What an amazing gift we are offered. This is Christmas. This is the invitation. And yet there are some of us that have been following him for some days now, some years now. And this is a reminder that we have a choice to make. Every day we are given breath of life, we have a choice to make to learn how to become one who grows in deepening our understanding of what it means to belong to him, what it means to behave as his child, to adjust the way we even see ourselves as one who is deeply, deeply, deeply loved as his child. And so when we are in the most stressful situations, perhaps this is a season where God may want to remind us, this is how my child behaves. Embrace my way of being. And maybe when we are feeling lonely and discouraged and we are feeling let down by those around us, or maybe we don't have the relational uh, connections we long to have, we are reminded that above all else, God looks at us as his child and his presence is with us. And no matter what we may sense or feel otherwise, we will always have a place of belonging in him. And his embrace is able to hold us in this season where maybe loneliness is highlighted. Can we hear this? The one who is rejected by many is the one who embraces us. He knows our pain deeper than we could possibly understand. And he gives us a place to belong. What a gift. What a gift. But secondly, I'd like to suggest that if we have embraced him, we have embraced our place in his family, well, we begin to behave like his family. And we have the opportunity then to invite others into his home. See, in our own way, maybe, maybe not quite like the Tui family, which is just an incredibly high level of generosity and hospitality and extension of resource to literally adopt somebody as their own. But maybe God wants to use us to extend his welcoming hand and grace to others and those around us. And maybe in this season, in this season where walls are let down and people are way more open to being generous and being kind and tender towards each other, perhaps this is the time, maybe the window, the opportunity for us to invite somebody home. This is why I love our community. Because opportunities abound. In several weeks, we're going to be having our Christmas drama, which needs to be known. That in its inception and in its creation, we are, yes, thinking of our community at large, but we are also thinking about the ones we love and care about who do not have a place to belong, and yet we long to let them know God has a place for you. With them in mind, we create this. And so in several weeks, some of us may have the opportunity to invite a coworker, a friend, a family member to come to join us in his house and to receive and to hear what an amazing gift is offered. 
What a privilege if we get to be an extension of his invitation. What an amazing thing. The spirit of giving is also another opportunity to be able to serve in his name, to be able to approach people that would otherwise be strangers. They become friends because we say to them, listen, Jesus loves you. He has not forgotten you. God has you on his mind, and I am here as a part of that because so many times, though God sent his son, he longs to use people to give other people a place to belong. And we get to be a part of that. Christmas season is truly a wonderful time to engage with him. And, you know, with that in mind, I was thinking, lastly, that as we enter this, we have an opportunity, don't we? We have an opportunity to make sure that Jesus, Jesus remains at the heart of everything we do this holiday season. That Jesus remains at the center of our celebrations of our gift-giving, of our serving, of our gatherings, of our song-singing, everything that is happening, we get to remember to keep Jesus, whom this is all about, right where he belongs, in the center of it all. And with that in mind, we were thinking it'd be good to offer up a tool for us to be able to do that. And so we, we have this 10-day devotional that we're giving to anybody that would want it. You may have received it on the way in. You could get it at the Connection Center on your way out. And it's meant to be just read. And here's, here's, here's the deal. So much of the season is filled with constant activity. Checklists, different things we must do. Gatherings we are to attend, and if we're not careful, the speed of the season can go so quickly, it creates a blur. And I, I guess what I'm suggesting is it might be good for us to slow down. In the midst of our week, in the midst of our day, we could slow down and remember and center ourselves on who this is all about, why we are doing this. And so it's a 10-day devotional. We could enter it however you may want, but maybe one idea would be 10 days prior to Christmas, we start engaging with it. And in our morning, we wake up and we set some time aside and we sit down and we just read through something that would remind us not only of God's goodness, but also the celebration we're entering. And it starts to warm our heart. It starts to remind us and deepen our understanding of his love for us. And perhaps we might want to do it Maybe starting next Sunday on the 15th and moving all the way towards Christmas or perhaps on the 14th and moving up to Christmas Eve and maybe we even if we're in town, we make our way to the candlelight service. We celebrate together. But it's all meant to keep us connected. Connected to the fact that this is one of the most significant moments in human history. The coming of the Son that gives us an invitation of a place to belong. May we embrace him. May we embrace this season. May we embrace the one who embraces us. And may we receive all that belonging gives us. May this season be filled with his grace, his love, his blessing over us as we respond to his invitation to belong. With that in mind, we're going to be having our time of giving and the band's going to come up and we're going to share in a closing song that just continues to remind us of this theme, this idea of having a place to belong. But I'd love to pray over our word together and then um, 
we'll engage with this closing song together. So, Lord, first of all, thank you. Thank you, God, that you, in the most extravagant way possible, entered into our lives in the most humble, tender, gentle manner. You vulnerably entered into our experience so that we would have the opportunity of hearing your invitation, of receiving you into our lives. I pray, God, that you would help us, that you would help us maybe let down our own sense of skepticism, our own sense of ah, different things that may get in the way of hearing your warm, loving voice calling our name. May you help us embrace. May you help us embrace where we belong. And as a result, may your strength penetrate our soul. May your acceptance be our source of confidence. And may you flow through us in this Christmas season. May we engage with all that this season offers us, Lord. And may your name be honored and glorified. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.